0: Nothing I did, though, up here. I woke you up. Yeah, wake up. Do that in about another 20 minutes or so, Bing, see. If, <laughs> see if they need that. I do want to wish each of you a uh, happy Veterans Day weekend. I realize it's not uh, the day, but uh, I just wanted to share some thoughts with you today about this, uh, this day what it means to me, what it means to America historically and, and currently and maybe in the future, and also how it relates to um, the scriptures. Uh, but I was, sit- I was sitting up front um, when uh, Charlie had all the vets uh, stand, and I needed to see all of you. So I said, if you are a veteran in any of our armed forces currently serving past service, would you please stand? I just want to read a poem for you, and then our prayer dedication for all of our veterans that are here today. So vets, please stand all right very good all over the sanctuary i want to read you a poem and then have a prayer for you it's written by a veteran named Irvin rosier it's called all glory flaps in the breeze i woke up this morning way before dawn i sat on my bench by the edge of the lawn i meditated on the lord and his goodness to me i am blessed to be in america where i am free i have a tall flagpole by my little white shed I just raised a new flag. It is white, blue, and red. I saw old glory whipping around in the breeze. For years it has flown over the land and the seas. As a young child, I held my hand over my heart. I learned the Pledge of Allegiance part by part. I recalled that day when I raised my right hand. I promised to support and to defend our great land. As I watched old glory gently flapping in the wind, I prayed to the Lord and asked that he would mend our great nation so that it would not be divided and fall. I believe the Lord heard me, as on his name I did call. The red of old glory reminds me of the soldier's blood shed on foreign desert sands and in the jungle mud. The 50 white stars set against the blue background reminds me of God's grace that is spread all around. God bless America is a phrase we often hear repeated on many lips, day by day, year by year. Indeed, God has blessed America in a mighty way because of the many that to him do kneel and pray. He was a retired uh, captain, U.S. Army, written in 2005. Let's have a prayer. Father, we thank you for our veterans here at Faith Baptist Church, some uh, that may not be present with us today, but we thank you for each and every one of them. Thank you for their willingness to do their duty to, to our country. And we thankful, uh, thankful also, Lord, of their commitment to doing their duty to their God as well. I pray that you bless each one, and I pray that uh, this Veterans Day weekend, each one will be honored and remembered, and know that uh, a grateful nation appreciates all of their efforts to help secure our freedom. Uh, but mostly, uh, we appreciate them here today because of their commitment to the freedom we have through Jesus Christ, and through faith in the shed blood of Christ, we can have the gift of eternal life. Thank you for our veterans, and may you help each of them to live prosperous and successful and peaceful lives. And I, we pray that they, they might be able to uh, be honored, uh, not only in our communities, but through the VA and through the various services that are available to them, and uh, maybe not be lacking in meeting all of their needs. And uh, we pray that um, uh, our government may take uh, great amends to meet uh, especially some of the health care needs that have been lacking in the past. And uh, we want to care for them and meet their needs. And we thank you for them, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you. Yes. A little bit louder, maybe, Bing. A little bit louder. Testing, testing. How are we coming across now? A little bit better? Can you tell anything different? Okay. Oh, how about that? That sounds a little bit better. Thank you, Bing. Thank you. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. We'll look at various texts today by... Because of the nature of a topical message like this, I just want to share uh, a few thoughts from God's Word in several different passages. Well, Veterans Day is celebrated every year on November the 11th. Originally, it was called Armistice Day, established to honor those who had come home from World War I. And uh, November the 11th, of course, the date uh, that World War ended in the year 1918, But today, it's a way to honor all of our veterans and all of the wars for which we have fought. Um, Generally, on Veterans Day, the president will visit the uh, Tomb of the Unknown in uh, Arlington, uh, various parades and celebrations and observances across the country. Um, It's important to recognize, because it took me a while to figure it out as well, the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Uh, Basically, veterans, uh, we're we're recognizing and honoring those who are yet living with us. At Memorial Day, or Decoration Day as it used to be called, we remember those who have passed away, Uh, generally those who have either died in battle or suffered uh, from the results of injuries in battle, uh, but those who have uh, paid the ultimate price for us to remain free in this country. We have a uh, flag here in our church, and I haven't been in a Baptist church that didn't have the flag uh, displayed in our sanctuary, and we've even pledged allegiance to our flag today. And I think these are all good and appropriate things that we should do. Uh, but in Galatians chapter 5, we recognize something about our liberty. But Paul talks about two believers, and not necessarily a national or a physical or a political liberty, but true freedom. Stand fast, therefore, Paul writes in Galatians 5.1, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you have become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he he is a debtor to keep the whole law. And look over again at verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Heavenly Father, we pray that you bless our study today and our thoughts, and may Christ be honored as we consider the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. It was uh, Jesus who said, greater love has no one or no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And we can't not help but think of those who have done so in our nation's wars and battles. It's hard to not uh, remember the commitment that our nation has to uh, the God who has given us our freedom, even if many in our land today do not recognize such a God or such gifts. It was our Founding Fathers who wrote in the Constitution, in the Declaration of Independence that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights among these life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The First Amendment of our Constitution's Bill of Rights guarantees freedom of religion, that the government may not establish a state religion as we used to have in the old country in which some of the early colonies also established. In the Pledge of Allegiance, we remind ourselves that we are a nation under God. And even on our coins, we can still read the phrase, In God we trust. As you and I know, the starting point of Christianity is recognizing the awful truth of sin, as Paul has mentioned in Galatians chapter 5. Christ has made us free. Free from what? Free from sin. For that is the the grand enemy. In the days of Jesus, the Jewish people were looking for physical deliverance, political deliverance from the yoke of Rome. But Jesus did not come to deliver them from Roman oppression. He came to deliver them from a far worse oppressor, a far greater dictator, a far more evil tyrant, and that is the tyrant of sin. Someone has rightly said that the first step to God is repentance. The first step towards God is to turn around, to turn around. That's what the word repentance means, to change or to turn around, to change your direction. The first step to God is to recognize I'm going in the wrong direction and to turn around and, by God's grace, turn away from the ways of the world and the the flesh and sin and instead turn towards God. Paul says to stand fast. Stand your ground. Do not be driven backwards, but hold your ground. And in this particular uh, context, as pastors preached in the book of Galatians recently, we were reminded that the believers in the churches of Galatia had been contemplating, maybe dabbling a little bit with the idea of returning to Judaism. And that some were teaching this, yes, salvation is great, salvation on the cross, From Christ dying on the cross, we love it, we think that's great, but you can't throw away what we've had for thousands of years, uh, symbolized by circumcision. You can't just toss that out. God gave us that too. God gave us these moral codes and conduct. We can't dismiss them. So we want Christ, but if you're going to be saved, you've got to make sure uh, that the children, the boy children are circumcised. But Paul says in verse 2, if you do that, then Christ will profit you nothing. Interesting that the the Judaizers, as they're called, were not trying to get rid of Christ. They were simply trying to add something to the gospel, this physical work of circumcision. But Paul says it's either all Christ alone, or it's nothing. The Jews of the Old Testament were guilty of this kind of thing as well, where they wanted to worship the God of Israel, Jehovah, Yahweh. But they also liked dabbling with Ashtoreth and Baal and Molech and these other false deities. And they were combining them a little bit. And that's where um, Elijah said, Look, don't halt between two, two opinions. If Baal be God, then serve him. If the Lord be God, then serve him. But you need to make a choice. You can't serve both. And of course, that great scene at Mount Carmel... Uh, revealed the true God for who he is. But Paul makes it clear that if you try to base your salvation on mixing the old ways of the law with what you have in Christ, you are no longer free. You have uh, surrendered your freedom. Uh, I've seen it around town, seen it on bumper stickers, t-shirts, things like that. Those who would Sacrifice their freedom to be safe, deserve neither. Uh, One of the founding fathers had said that. Interesting. I think that plays into Paul's words here. That uh, they wanted to kind of combine the old law with the law of Christ. And you can't do that because the law of Christ requires us To turn away from the old ways, which never could help us in the first place. They never could save us. They never could bring us to God. They could only reveal to us the greater depravity of our own heart. But Paul says, Christ will profit you nothing if you turn back to the law. So in a sense, believers here today, we live in two kingdoms. We live in a spiritual kingdom. We live in the kingdom of Christ. But we also are members of an earthly kingdom. In this case, the citizenship with the United States of America. We have the laws of God's Word to guide us in our spiritual kingdom, and we also have to reckon with man's laws as we live in our physical kingdom. Take a look at 2 uh, Timothy chapter 2 for a moment. I'm sorry, let's make that chapter 1 uh, Timothy. I'm sorry, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul wants the believers, especially Timothy, to recognize you are members of a physical kingdom and there are some obligations you have. First of all, he says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Verse 2 goes on to say, For kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, believers were enjoined by Paul. Uh, Timothy was called upon by Paul to lift up prayers for those who had authority over them, wherever they happened to be living. In this case, they would have been living in the port city of Ephesus, praying for their leaders. Because as they prayed for their leaders, Paul says, and as, God, and as God worked in those leaders' hearts, it would result in them living more peaceable lives. Uh, some of the early Christians were accused of uh, not only uh, following another king, treason, such as they accused of Jesus, uh, but of actually an, an act of revolt against the government. And so when the believers began to pray, maybe before unbelievers on occasion, for their leaders, that would help to change that attitude that these people do want to live good lives in our country, and we don't have to drive them out. They're not trying to overthrow our leaders. And perhaps that may have led to living more peaceful lives here below in godliness and reverence. God says in verse 3 that this is a good and acceptable thing, to pray for all men, especially our leaders, that we might be able to live good and acceptable lives in, in, our, in, the, in, the, in the city where we might live, in that earthly kingdom. I like what Martin Luther said about military men and women. In his case, it was men. He wrote an article called, Whether Soldiers Too Can Be Saved. In this article, Luther writes, For if the sword were not on guard to preserve peace, everything in the world must go to ruin because of lack of peace. He saw that soldiers have an important part in our civil affairs, in our earthly lives. He went on to say about the fighting men, they do do it not for themselves or on their own account, but as a service and an act of obedience to the rulers under whom they serve. On another occasion in the uh, Gospels, soldiers came to John the Baptist, and they asked, what should we do? Perhaps they were suggesting, should we leave the Roman army? Should we... Forget all that and, and uh, become prophets, become preachers, become teachers. Uh, what about us? If we believe on the Messiah, what, what should we do as soldiers? John Baptist told them, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, and be content with your pay. He said, do a good job. Be a good soldier. Um, keep on doing that work that you're called to do, but do it honorably. Don't extort people. Uh, don't steal from people because you have the power and you're carrying that sword. You be content with the pay that you have. And bless God for that. And continue serving uh, God by being a soldier in the Roman army. And on one other occasion, a centurion, a Roman captain over a over hundred men, came to Jesus and asked for Jesus to come and heal his servant And he said, but don't bother coming to the house. You can just speak the word right here, Jesus. For I too have command over those. And I say to one servant, you go and do this. And he goes and does it. I don't have to go do it myself. And Jesus, you can do it just by speaking the word. And Jesus said of that centurion, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. So fighting men have an honorable place In the Word of God. Many pulpits across the country these days may not take notice of Veterans Day, Armistice Day, and remembering our military. I think there might be a couple reasons. One is that perhaps some are under the impression that Christianity and war do not mix. Some would think that military service may even be antithetical to the Christian faith, and I do not accept that. And most Of my Baptist forefathers do not accept that idea either. There were Baptists serving in the Revolutionary Army, a Revolutionary War in Washington's Army, some as chaplains, but just as many others carrying arms. Baptists recognized the need at the time that this was a very different kind of a war. It was not to gain money, it was not to gain land, it was not some kind of political uh, covert operation to overthrow someone. It was the beginning of a new nation, a nation conceived in liberty that all men should be free, that all men are created equal. And the Baptists saw this for the first time in the history of the world. We might actually find ourselves living in a country where we can practice our faith freely, without oppression, without being jailed, drowned, and killed. Something new here worth fighting for, worth dying for. I've read about a military man who was asked uh, by a Christian how he could even claim to be a Christian, much less an ordained minister, because he was serving in the military. Uh, I served under a pastor in Alexander, Virginia, for a number of years. He was a decorated uh, Marine, and he served both in uh, the Gulf War as well as Border Patrol in the U.S. Uh, border with Mexico, flying a Cobra helicopter. Amazing to be able to meet on Wednesday nights and pray for our pastor who's uh, fighting in the Gulf War. That was a, a very special time for our ministry. I don't remember anybody questioning his character, his godliness, his willing to serve and please God with his life. Well, that gentleman who was asked that responded that if we didn't have Christians serving in our nation's military, military forces, then maybe we're in more trouble in the country than we thought we were. We need Christians in all of our armed forces. We need believers taking this gospel, this faith, into the armed forces. I think a second reason maybe why some churches may not honor Veterans Day and these other uh, militaristic type of holidays like Memorial Day, because maybe they think that honoring the vets is honoring war. Honoring the vets is honoring war. But I've never met a mature believer who felt that they couldn't distinguish between honoring the military and honoring or boasting of the horrors of war. And I've never met a combat veteran who felt that war was glorious and wonderful and we should do more and more of it. The combat vets that I've met would never glorify war. They see it for what it is and they recognize that sometimes we have to do it but it's not something that we delight in. An Iraq soldier recently wrote, I wonder if people back home know about the nightmares we have while we're awake, the trauma that we have in our heads. I jump, he says, watching movies that I've seen a thousand times when there's some shooting in them. I wonder if I'll be able to drive back home without getting in trouble for driving in the middle of the road or trying to explain to the cops that I'm worried about roadside bombs. It happened to me two years ago, and this time it'll be worse. I've been hit multiple times by roadside bombs and a car bomb, and I don't know if I will ever be able to have a normal life again. He was in that situation in our place. Another writes, Since I'm now about 30 days short of leaving this mess, I can only see one thing. I can now truly appreciate living in the U.S.A., we may disagree on religion, politics, race, but we don't blow each other to pieces because of it. Well, not normally, he writes. <laughs> you read about these soldiers who've returned from the front, and your heart goes out to them. Some of them, even today in harm's way, are coming back from a grueling day on duty, and they're opening up their computer, and they're, and they're texting their wives back home about how to fix the toilet, and how to fix the lights, and how to do this and how to do that. Uh, It's an amazing time we live in. Most of those in the military would argue that when these men and these women are in the heat of battle, they're not necessarily fighting for the country or the American way of life. I mean, that's not prominently in their minds. But they're fighting for their buddies next to them. They're fighting for the people right there with them. That's what matters. A 27-year-old MP named Danielle Green relates this story. She'd been a college basketball star, a left-handed point guard at Notre Dame. Green had just lost that hand in Iraq. She'd been on the roof of a police station behind sandbags trying to defend it from enemy fire when she took a direct hit from a rocket-propelled grenade. This was an elite athlete, and she'd lost her whole professional identity when she lost her hand. But that's not what she wanted to talk about. What she wanted to talk about was how her buddies carried her down, put her on the hood of the the Humvee, and stopped the bleeding. And then they went up the roof again, against orders, and found her hand buried under the sandbags. They took off her wedding ring and returned it to her. She's telling me this with a million-dollar smile. This was not about bitterness or loss. It was about gratitude. Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. In our nation's history, we've had about 43 million people have served in our country's armed forces. Up to now, about a million have lost their lives serving in our armed forces. Today, we have some 24 million living veterans, less than 20 from World War I, Close to 3,500 have received the Medal of Honor, which was first given in the Civil War. At that time, it was only the only award for valor. Since then, it's been given for extraordinary courage, and 525 people have received this award posthumously. They gave their lives to earn that award. Our vets can also teach us the importance of learning to love even those we're fighting. Ernest Gordon was a POW in a Japanese camp in the Second World War, and he was on a trip while, taking, while captive, and they stopped on this trip in Burma. As they were there, a train of Japanese wounded pulled up alongside. Here's what he writes. These Japanese wounded soldiers were in a shocking, shocking state. I've never seen men filthier. Uniforms were encrusted with blood, mud and excrement, their wounds crawled with maggots. The wounded looked at us forlornly as they sat waiting for death. They had been discarded as expendable, a refuse of war. These were our enemy. Without a word, most of the officers in my section unbuckled their packs, took out parts of their rations in a rag or two, and with their water canteens in their hands, went over to the Japanese train. Our guards tried to prevent it, but we ignored them. And we knelt down by the enemy to give water and food to clean and bind their wounds. Grateful cries of arigato, thank you, followed us when we left. I regarded my comrades with wonder. 18 months ago, they would have readily destroyed these people. Now these same officers were dressing their enemies' wounds. We had experienced a moment of grace there in the blood-stained railway cars. God had broken through the barriers of our prejudice and given us the will to obey his command, love your enemies. Some things are worth dying for. I think that's the greatest lesson for me, from our veterans, that some things are worth dying for. Sometimes today we get the impression that the worst thing that can happen for a soldier is to be killed in combat. Many of them would say, maybe there are worse things to happen to us than dying in combat. One soldier said, one of the worst things I believe is to live in a society where nobody believes anything is worth dying for. Every soldier, marine, airman, sailor, coast guardsman at some point realizes he may be called upon to make the supreme sacrifice. What is worth dying for? Is our freedom worth dying for? Is our way of life worth dying for? Is the religious liberty that we've enjoyed since the Bill of Rights was established worth dying for today? Would the enemy nations around us seek to rob us and strip us of these freedoms that we enjoy in America? Absolutely. What would you be Willing to die for. Many would say, I'm willing to die for our country. I'm willing to die for my brother and sister in Christ. But they're not willing always to pick up a telephone, say, You know, I treated you badly. I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? We might take a bullet for our spouse, but we're not willing to pick up our socks. Clean up after ourselves. It's easy to talk the big talk sometimes, isn't it? What's worth dying for? There are many things. The freedoms that we enjoy are worth dying for. So let's take a take a uh, time today, this weekend, to remember that freedom has come at a great price. As I read at the poem at the beginning, that red in our flag represents blood blood of, according to the statistic, some one million casualties of soldiers who've died for our freedom. We're also reminded of the shed blood of Jesus Christ when Peter said, you're not bought with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot and without blemish, paid for with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Would you take a look at Revelation 19 as I wrap our thoughts up this morning? Revelation 19. One of the great things about the Bible is we know how it all ends. We know how it ends. It doesn't really matter what's happening here in the middle because we know at the end all going to work out. And so we can face just about anything because we know how it ends. We don't have to wring our hands worrying if it's going to end up bad. Is, is good not going to win out? Is evil going to always have the upper hand? No, we know how it ends. Great scene here from Revelation. Now I saw heaven opened, Revelation 19:11, And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Jesus is a warrior his eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns he had a name written that no one knew except himself he was called he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of god and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean followed him on white horses now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule rule them with a rod of iron He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying, To all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them. And the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. Evil doesn't win, does it? Evil loses. It's not a yin-yang universe where evil and good are in this perpetual balance forever and ever. Good wins. Christ wins. Our warrior, our king, our king, Our shepherd and our savior wins the battle for all of eternity. I rejoice in that. And I think our veterans can take heart. They are following the footsteps of their great commander and fighting evil. No, we can only make little dents in it now. But he will sweep it away in a single blow. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, I invite you to consider his claims that he is the Son of God, that he is the only Savior, that he himself is the only way to ever see God. All other ways are false, all other ways are mere deception, illusion. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. Come to Jesus and be saved. If you'd like to know more about what that means, I hope you'll take some time after we dismiss our service and speak with someone, myself, one of our church leaders, someone you know, someone you trust. Let us open the Bible and show you what the Bible actually says about how you can know for sure that you have a home waiting for you in heaven, that all is right between you and your God, so that when you lay your head on your pillow tonight, no matter what happens, something were to happen overnight, you'll wake up in the presence of Jesus, your commander, your king. Believers, I encourage you to take heart and knowing that the battle is still being fought. We should not get casual, thinking all is going along fine. We still have much ice to melt around us. We still have much evil to resist. We have much, even within our own flesh, to fight. Let's not retiring just yet. Let's keep the battle going, fighting for what is right. And may God bless each and every one of you, and may we, each of you, take some time to thank one of our veterans on your way out today and as you fellowship together after our service. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to remember and give honor to those whom honor is due. We thank you for those who are willing to serve our country and we thank you for those who are serving now. May the gospel of Christ come into each one of those units. May each soldier have an opportunity to receive the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the great captain, the great warrior, Jesus Christ, who shed blood was the, was the great blow against our enemy and the means by which we can be delivered and rescued. For some may may not know Christ in a personal way today. They've heard about him. They've seen pictures of him. They've even watched movies about him, but they don't know you personally. Lord, may they be drawn to faith in the Son of God who lives forever in our midst today and will come back to wage the final battle as we read in Revelation chapter 19. May they be saved, Father. Lord, as believers, may we see... You have called us to be Christian soldiers. maybe we wear our armor faithfully, neglecting not one part, and that we'd have victories. We saying victory in Jesus as we deal with our own flesh, the struggles within our society, in our churches, in our homes, in our places of work, that there would be a Christian voice in all of those environments to let others know that Jesus is here, actively working even in our midst here today. So glorify yourself, Father, as we dismiss and uh, by your grace and, and purpose meet again tonight to continue studying your word and fellowshipping together. And may you continue to bless every veteran across this land and may each one have an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.